You know, in uh, today's culture, we really pride ourselves in our understanding of the world around us. We can see farther out into the galaxy than ever before. We can map out DNA. We can track global financial markets. We can research microorganisms. We can even send robots to Mars. Yet for all of our intelligence and control over the world around us, more often than not, we are left with the question of why. Why did that fever have to come? Why did that person get sick? Why is there so much evil in this world? And why are things to the point where I don't understand what's going on around me? See, church, this is where sin has left us. We are more knowledgeable than ever before. But at the same time, we don't really know anything. We can look out into the world further and, and more detailed than we have ever done in the past. And yet, at the same time, we have no idea what's going to happen tomorrow. And I think that feeling of uncertainty, that feeling of not knowing, can really leave us in despair. But I want to tell you today, do not despair. Do not worry, because you know the author of salvation. You may not know everything that is happening in this world, but you know the creator of the world. You may not be able to control sickness or know when death is going to come, but you believe in the one who has already conquered death on the cross. You believe in Jesus Christ, who with a single word can make all things right. That is where our confidence comes from, church. That is where our hope comes from as Christians. Our hope is not placed upon this world, is not placed upon our experiences. Our hope is based upon Jesus Christ, upon his character, and upon his work, for he has already overtaken all things. And so that's why, even though we don't know what will happen tomorrow, we can still be thankful in all circumstances. Even though we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, we can still have hope for the future. And even though we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, we don't have to despair. Because we know that Jesus Christ is all-powerful, he is in control of this world, and he loves you and me. You see, in the book of Jeremiah, God, he speaks to the prophet and he says these words, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. See, I have set you this day over nations and over kingdoms to pluck up and to break down, to destroy and to overthrow, to build and to plant. God is the one who places us exactly where we need to be placed. He places us above kingdoms. He places us below nations. He places us in places where we are supposed to be So, because he has a plan and a purpose for us in that place. This is the word that Jesus speaks as well. When he speaks, he has authority over even the greatest nations and over the greatest kings. When Jesus speaks, 
His word breaks down the power of sin and death. We see in the Bible that with a single word, the winds and the waves stop. With a single word, the demons leave. And with a single word, even the dead come back to life. You see, this is the authority and the power that Jesus Christ has. You see, church, we are going to be speaking today on this passage. And this passage is about a demon-possessed man and the things that Jesus is able to do and talk to him about. And yet, there's only one main point. It's very simple. It's that Jesus has authority over everything and everyone. And that includes demons. You see, in the book of Luke, we are looking and, and reading over the story of Jesus Christ. And over these past few chapters, what we have seen is, is the person of Jesus, right? We know that he's from the line of David. We read that he was born of a virgin Mary. We know of all these different things that he was announced by an angel. And yet here, starting in verse 31, we begin to see the power of Jesus. We begin to see his authority and what he's going to do. And over these next few chapters, what we're going to be able to see is that he has authority over religious teachers. He has authority over disease. And he has authority over nature. But today, what we see is that Jesus has authority over demons. Now, before I go any further, I, I think demons are just a really interesting topic. And this is kind of a side note. When, you, when we a lot of times think of demons, because of our culture, there's usually two viewpoints that we kind of hold on to. The first viewpoint is that maybe demons aren't real. They're kind of, on, in the Old Testament, they're kind of back then, but today demons aren't really real. Because maybe it's connected to our modern culture of, of Harry Potter, of Twilight, of, of these types of magical types of things where we connect wizards and goblins and all this type of stuff to demons. And so it's not really that real within our minds. We haven't really experienced it for our own. So it's just something that we read in books, but it's not something that we really experience today. And so we kind of just brush it off. The other viewpoint that many people have is that they're actually very scared of it. They're very scared of demons. And the reason why is because of culture as well. Because for them, they love horror movies. And one of the most famous horror movies is The Exorcist, right? And so they've seen a lot of these movies of demon possession, of, of all these horror things. And, and so they think of demons as, as something to be scared of, that they should be afraid, that demons have this power over them. And so they're constantly afraid. Now, I want you to know that the Bible actually speaks about these two viewpoints. And the Bible says something completely different. Because the Bible says first that demons are real. And that they are in this world. You see, what the Bible says is that demons actually encompass the angels who follow Satan from heaven. For them, they are in constant rebellion against God. And what they desire to do is to tear us away from him. And so they're constantly conceiving, they're, all, they're constantly thinking, they're constantly thinking about ways of, of how they can pull us away from the Lord. In fact, what's interesting is that the New Testament mentions the word angels and demons more often than the word love or the word sin. That's how real it is in the Bible. However, even though demons are real, 
and they're here to pull us away from God. For us as Christians, we do not need to fear. Why? Because when you believe in Jesus Christ, you believe that he has complete authority over demons as well. That is not demons, it's not us that are afraid of demons, it's demons that are afraid of us. In James 2.19 it says, the demons believe in God and they tremble. You see, for the demons, when they look upon Jesus, when they think about the Lord, they know that he's real. And they know that he is more powerful than they will ever be. And so they are afraid of that. Not only that, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 13.5, do you not realize about yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you? You see, brothers and sisters, when you are a Christian, when you believe in Jesus Christ as your personal Savior and Lord, what Paul says is that Jesus Christ resides in you. And that means the power of Jesus Christ is within you as well. And so when demons look at you, it's not you that is afraid of them. It is them that is afraid of you. And so for today, what I want to do is just go over a couple points. As we look upon this passage, I just want to see what about Jesus makes him so authoritative? What about Jesus makes him so powerful that demons are trembling before him? Because in this passage, what we see are just three things. First is his preaching. The preaching of the word of God is powerful and effective. And that is why the demons tremble. The second reason is because of the person of Jesus Christ and what he has come to do. The demons know who he is. They know how holy he is. They know that he's come to destroy them. And so they are afraid. And lastly, is because of his power. Jesus Christ is all-powerful, that even the winds and the waves obey him, that there is no one who is able to stand against him in this world, and that includes everything spiritual. And so you see, church, preaching, person, and power. You see, in this passage, Jesus, he goes to Capernaum, and he begins to preach. And what we know about Jesus Christ is that he's not just a, a pretty good preacher. He is the greatest of all time. He is so good. He is so powerful that the Bible says that when he preaches, that when he teaches, that people are constantly astonished. That word astonished in the Greek actually means to be so spellbound, to be so dumbfounded that you're dizzy. That people are so astounded by what he is saying because of how powerful it is. You see, we don't have the specific sermon here, but what we do know is that Jesus Christ, when he would speak, would speak only the word of God. He would speak scripture in the Old Testament. He would refer back to these things. And you see, what he says is the word of God because he is God. And so his words are, po are powerful and they are effective. Why do I know that? Why do we know that? Because Hebrews 4 says the word of God is alive and powerful. It is sharper than the sharpest sword, cutting between soul and spirit. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. James 1 says that we are called to accept the word that God has planted in our hearts because it is the only thing that has the power to save your soul. 
And 1 Corinthians says that the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. You see, church, the power of God does not come from your experiences. The power of God does not come from your knowledge of how the world works. The power of God is going to only come from the word of God. Do you want to experience how God will truly work in your life? You have to know the word of God. Do you want to see transformation happen in someone else's life? You have to preach and teach the word of God. It is going to be the word of God that allows transformation to happen, and it is the word of God that brings trembling to demons. You see, this was the word that Jesus Christ was preaching in that synagogue. And he was speaking with such clarity, with such force, with such authority that people around him were shocked. And so what we read here in this passage is that as he was preaching, it says that a man possessed by a demon came up to him and cried out, Ha, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. You see, Jesus, in the middle of preaching this sermon that was the word of God, that was powerful, that was effective, that was cutting to the heart, the demon comes up in in sheer terror, so afraid, because he knew how powerful it was. I know that at this point I'm kind of reiterating again and again and again, and it's almost repetitive in a way. But the reason I'm saying this is because I think for us, in our culture, especially when we think of a lot of our Christians and a lot of churches in this world, they have become really ineffective. And I would guess with a large amount of conviction that the reason why they are ineffective is because we have stopped preaching and teaching based upon the word of God and we've made it more man-centered. It's more about us And it's less about God. But what you have to know is that demons, they're not necessarily afraid of us. They're afraid of what resides within us. And that's Jesus Christ. We are not powerful by ourselves. We are powerful because of the God who loves us. It's his story that causes transformation. It's the power of the Holy Spirit that allows lives to be changed. It is God who breaks the the barriers and the chains of sin. It's not us. You know, my father, he's a pastor, and one thing that he's always told me is that his ability to counsel and and the reason why people are willing to come to him is, is not because of his own experiences, is not because of how knowledgeable he is. The reason people are willing and able to come to him for counseling is because they know that he will speak the word of God to them. That's it. They trust that he knows the word of God, and they trust that when he counsels them, that he will speak only the word of God to them. And for me, I heard that years ago when he told me, and I've really taken that to heart. And so for me, as I speak and I teach, and when I try to counsel others as well, I really try to come from a place where I'm only speaking the word of God. 
Because I know that is the only thing that is going to change someone else's life. It's not going to be my experiences. It's not going to be how good I am. It's not going to be how knowledgeable I am. It is simply going to be the word of God that allows the power of the Holy Spirit to transform someone else's heart. And so this is my call to you as well. Because this is one thing that I talk to you a lot about with my leaders, and I want to express to you as well. That for us as brothers and sisters within this church, there will be times when you are called to counsel somebody else. When you are called to give words of advice, when you're words of discipline, words of love to somebody else. And I want you to know that you can be bold in that. Be bold and courageous in the way that you speak to them. Why? Because you are focused upon the word of God. Don't speak on your experiences. Don't speak on the knowledge of something else. As long as you speak upon the word of God, that is what's going to give power to transform somebody else. See, what's interesting is that when I teach this and when I kind of uh, ask others to do this as well, I say, as long as you focus upon sharing the word of God to other people, what you're essentially doing is saying, God, I'm going to just simply say what you have said here, and I want you to take responsibility of what else is coming. That God, I'm just simply going to, to sprinkle the seeds. You're going to be at the one, you're going to be the one that waters them. You see, when you're speaking from your own knowledge, when you're speaking from your own experiences, you are taking responsibility over those words. But what the Bible says is that as long as you speak the words of God, as long as you preach the gospel, that God is the one who's going to take responsibility and change another person's heart. You see, this is my experience in ministry, and man, I've seen that again and again to be true. It's interesting because, um, you know, as I've been pastoring now for a few years, uh, I've been able to pastor people through divorce. I've been able to pastor people through uh, marriage. I've pastored people and counsel people who are much older and, and much smarter and much more experienced than, than I am. But the reason why I'm able to do so and the reason why people are able to, willing to come to me, and I really do believe this, is because they trust that I'm speaking the words of God, that I'm going to focus upon what the Bible says. Because trust me, if they're coming from my own knowledge, I'm just, I'm just a regular dude who, who doesn't really know too much. But I do know the Bible. And that's the one thing that I can trust upon. And so that's my call to you as well, as brothers and sisters who are growing in this church, who are one day, if you're not a leader yet, going to be a leader in this church. Focus upon the word of God. Read it, meditate on it, and allow that to come out of you as you counsel and teach other people. Okay? But you see, church, it's not just the preaching of Jesus Christ that causes demons to tremble. It's the person of Jesus Christ. Verse 34 says, I know who you are, the Holy One of God. See, why would the demon use the word holy? Well, it's because something that's wicked is most afraid of someone who's holy. And the one thing I want to remind you is that, you see, God's holiness is our reminder that we're not holy. You see, the Bible says that there's this huge divide when it comes to who God is and, and who we are. There's a standard to who God is and, and his goodness that we cannot cross. And it's this holiness that demons are afraid of. You see, God, he is in this class of his own. 
He is not someone who follows the rules. He, he makes the rules. And there is no one other than him. He is the ultimate authority. And everything else goes under him. All of our thoughts, everything in this world, common sense, all of that goes under the word of God. It's why when Moses asks who he is in the burning bush, God simply says, I am who I am. There's nothing else. There's no one else. You see, church, his holiness means that demons have no power over him. In verse 34, the demons ask Jesus, have you come to destroy us? Because of Jesus' holiness, you see, his purpose is to come destroy all things that are not holy. What we see in 1 John 3, 8, it says, For the Son of God was manifest that he might destroy the works of the devil. The reason why demons are afraid of Jesus, of the person of Jesus, is because they know the ultimate purpose of Jesus is to destroy them. And so they're afraid of that. Now, if Jesus is destroying all things that are unholy, then the question becomes, aren't we also meant to die? But you see, that's the beauty of the gospel, church. That is because of the gospel, that because of what Jesus did on the cross, because of his substitution on the cross for our sins, and because he rose again, that we are covered by his blood, and we are deemed holy because of that. That's the reason why. That's it. And so that's why we can have hope for the future. That's why we can trust in the Lord and move forward. See, church, one application point that I want to just push to you guys is this. As Christians, the, the word Christian really means little Christ, right, or a Christ follower. And so for you and for me as Christians, if our desire is to follow after Christ— and desire to be holy, then it also means that we are willing to submit to his authority even when things get difficult. It's easy to follow after Jesus when things are easy. It's easy to follow after God when everything aligns with your will. But I think that really the question arises and, and the testing of your faith happens when things get difficult in your life, when things don't really match up to the way that you want things to match up. And it's those times when I want you to ask yourself, am I still willing to follow after the Lord? Is Jesus Christ really the authority of my life, even if it goes against my own desires and my own hopes? Just an example for me. You know, when I was um, in school, uh, when I was in college, there were, there were two things that I didn't have enough of. And those two things are money and time, right? Um, Granted, that's still the same today, uh, but it was much more so back then, right? So the two things I struggled with was time, and so I, I struggled with kind of filling in those gaps of, about uh, making sure I had enough time to study, and, and so I thought about it too, saying, should I give up on kind of QT for now, on reading the Bible? Is that something that I really need to do at this moment? And the other thing that I was trying to, thinking about giving up was giving my tithes and offering. 
And I said, at this moment, you know, I'm, I'm a student. I don't have very much. And, and so, you know, maybe this is a good time for me to just kind of hold back and, and hold my own in this way. And I remember back then, I was, I was kind of a punk, right? So I would, I would look at scripture and I would try to interpret it the way that I wanted to interpret it, which is not what you should be doing. But I would look at scriptures in Ecclesiastes, like there's a season for everything, right? Oh, okay, this, there, there must be a season for me not to do this either then. A season for me not to read the Bible, a season for me not to give offering, right? But what I've realized as I kind of thought about it and, and, and read more and, and just kind of asked my mentors is, is, that's just wrong. That really is wrong. That at the end of the day, it was my thinking versus what the Bible says. It was my common sense and, and what I thought was a priority versus what the Bible clearly stated here. And so I, have, I, was in the, I was in the fork in the road, and I had to decide what I wanted to do. And you see, in that moment, I decided that I was going to give to the Lord. I decided, you know what, I'm going to not follow my common sense. I'm not going to follow my time or my money, and I'm just going to try to trust in this. Now, I want to say at this moment that, you know, I want to have like a happy story where I hit the lottery and then like, oh, none of that happened. Um, I don't really, I, did I learn anything from that? Did I become wiser from that? I don't know. Uh, I don't feel any different, you know. Um, but one thing I can tell you, and this is, thing, this is one thing I'm sure, is that me having been faithful to God during that time when I had little, it gives me confidence today of being able to be faithful to God even when I have more. That because I was faithful to God in the past, it gives me confidence to be faithful to him today. And you see, that's where my confidence comes from. That's, where I, that's why I'm able to preach and teach and kind of share the story with you confidently. It's, it's not because I have some type of superpower. It's not because I, I was, you know, doing I struggled a lot with that. And there are times when I fail. There are times when I struggle. And there's times when I didn't do as well. But what I can tell you is that when there's that fork in the road and when things don't really make sense, but you see it's, it is what, the, is what the Bible says, that when you do choose that road, over time it gets easier. It does. It gets easier. I'm not saying it's going to be easy, but it does get easier. And so my one, I guess, application point to you is that there's going to be times in your life when there's situations like that, when things are difficult, Maybe it's going to be in your job. You didn't get that promotion you wanted. Maybe it's going to be in that school when you didn't get in that school you want to go to. Maybe it's going to be in your marriage. Maybe it's going to be with your friend group. I don't know. But there's going to be a time in your life when there's going to be a fork in the road. And my prayer and my call to you right now is that you would choose the authority of God over the authority of yourself. You would choose the Lord. And when you choose the Lord, I promise things will get easier. I'm not saying it's going to be easy, but things will get easier for you to follow after him step by step by step. You see, his holiness means that Jesus is set apart from everything. And the Bible says that God's ways are higher than our ways, and his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. As Christians, you see, we believe that God is holy. We believe that he is set apart from this world. And therefore, I just pray and I ask that you would trust in the Lord. 
If his thoughts are really higher than yours, just trust in him. If his ways are really higher than yours, then just trust in that. And just move forward trusting in his character and trusting in his purpose. Okay? Now, the last thing I want to say, and I'm going to just end with this, is that, you see, demons, they tremble at Jesus' preaching. They tremble at Jesus' person. And lastly, they tremble at Jesus' power. Verse 35, it says, But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. Now, I want you to read, I'm going to read that again. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. Do you see what isn't there? There's no incantation. There's no manipulation. There's not even a dialogue. It's just Jesus saying, be silent and come out. All Jesus says is a few words, and it's done. See, church, this is the power of our Lord Jesus Christ. What's interesting is that when you look upon the miracles of Jesus when it comes to demon possession, they're often called healings. That's all they say that this is a time of healing. It's the, he's, uh, the Bible says that in Matthew 4.24, Luke 6.19, Acts 10.38, and actually in a lot of different places. And it's interesting because this word healing is the same word that's used when Jesus would heal someone who's blind, would heal somebody who had leprosy, would heal somebody with some type of physical ailment, ailment as well. And so scholars were, would argue and they would discuss about why Jesus would use the same word. And, and there's differing opinions, but one idea is that for Jesus, casting out a demon is the same thing as healing a sick person. That for Jesus, he is all-powerful. And so for every single thing, all it takes is a word. All it takes is just a little bit, and he's able to do so. That is the power of of our God. You know, I've mentioned this story before, but in Mark 5, what we read is, is that Jesus, he walks into a home where this little girl had just died. And he goes to her, and, and the people are weeping all around him, and, and they don't know what's, they're, they're just so upset, they're mourning. And so Jesus goes to the little girl who's passed away, and he says two words, Talitha kum. The word Talitha is a word parents would use for their child. It's the same thing as saying, um, my love, or something like honey. The second word is kum. It simply means wake up. And so Jesus, what he does is he goes to this dead girl where everyone else is mourning, and he goes in close to her, and all he says is, my love, it's time to wake up. And she gets up. Now, why would Jesus say this? Why wouldn't he say, be resurrected? Why, wasn't he, why didn't he do something like that? Scholars say that there's one reason. It's because for Jesus, raising someone from the dead is as easy as waking them up. You see, for our God, he is so powerful that for something as scary and as permanent seeming as death to us, is as easy as sleep to him. That's our Lord. That's the Jesus that we believe in. That he has power over every sin in your life. That he has power over every chain that has chained you to the ground today. That anything that you are dealing with at this moment, Jesus has power over it. 
And it is just one step where we have to go before him and ask for forgiveness, ask to repent, and ask him for his power in our lives. Church, do you trust in the Lord? Do you trust in what he's doing in your life? Do you trust that when he's working, something in your life that he's working, but do you also trust when nothing's happening in your life that God is still working? Do you trust that he is the ultimate authority over this world, and that includes yourself? Do you trust that he has authority over your time, over your money, over your friends, and over your family? Do you trust that the path that you're going in today is ordained and allowed by God, that in a moment he could have changed you out of it, but the reason that you are there today is because he allows you to be in that for a reason. There's a reason you are there today. Do you trust in the Lord? Church, I I pray and I hope for each one of us that as we move forward, that we would truly trust in the Lord and the authority and the power of who he is. Over these next few weeks, we're going to be learning more and more about who Jesus is, about the power and the authority he has over nature, over religious teachers, over the physical, and even over the spiritual. And as we learn about these different things, I pray and I hope that for you, that you will say, God, I trust in you. I trust in your power, for you have authority over me. Amen? Yeah, let's pray.